Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Hello and welcome to the return after the summer break of IRC Book Club. I've no idea what number show we're on. I normally say it at the start of the show and I'll look it up at some point and put it on the show notes. But we are back. Mike, nice summer. Whatever. I've got to say, this book literally has jumped into my top five. Really? I've read it all and, you know, it's a bit crappy looking and all the rest of it. Um, but what a superb book, I think. That's because you're a process rather than an options guy. I've written... As, as the book I've, will reveal. I've written all my... I've, what's interesting is I've written all the way through what I think I am and what I think you are. Ah, that would be fascinating. Because I agree with you, I'm a process guy. I'm a process guy, though. Mm, I didn't think you were. But we'll come to that bit, Jonathan. Let's not... Fascinating. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So the book we're covering this month, just as a quick aside, guys, uh, we did have a, a few weeks off IRC Book Club. Why? Because nobody listens to podcasts in August um, in the United Kingdom. So there was no point in producing content that nobody was going to listen to when it takes time to produce the content. So if you like what you're listening to today, it is September now, and people do listen to podcasts in September, do us a favor. Hit a like button somewhere, hit a share button somewhere, share it on your LinkedIn feed. Help us grow the podcast so that it makes it worth us keep doing it. So this month we are covering Words That Change Minds, Mastering the Language of Influence, second edition by Shell Rose Charvette. I haven't invited Shell on the show, actually. I would imagine she's probably worth inviting maybe for a, a quick episode. I, I mentioned her today on a LinkedIn post. Did you? Yep. Right. Okay. And so, Mike, just give our audience a quick how do you do about what this one's about? Yeah, well, see, that's a tough one, isn't it, really? Because actually, and let's be clear, Jonathan, this is something you said to me off air a while ago, so I'm sort of stealing your thunder a little bit. But it takes a very complex subject and breaks it into easy parts about communication and why people communicate in certain ways. I think that's a great summary. Do you know what, what this book's reminded me of? is Understanding Exposure by Brian Peterson. Yeah, another great book, Exposure. How does that work? Brian Understanding, Peterson. photographic. I read that book and recommended it to you and then you never shut up about it. Oh, it just, it made the whole photographic thing, it just made the penny drop. Mm. Shutter speed, aperture, ISO. The whole thing just, just clicked for me after I read that book. And actually, I think this one is very similar. It's about, if, you, if you're bothered about assessing the most effective way to communicate to somebody this book's a good start this and the unfair advantage by Dwayne Lakin yes a, a brutally good combination those two books killer combo so let's let's begin I, I've, I've been recently over the last few episodes of book club I've been making notes in an app I use for note-taking called Rome which is really great so I'm going to start with the inner liner and I, and I wrote, it looks like a primer in, in something called Metaprograms. And she does go into that. And I, at the, when I first saw that, what you've basically got here in this book 
is a distillation of some very complex NLP stuff into a very simple format. And, and, it's, still, and it's still fairly complicated. It's still quite complex. I've got to tell you, Pricey, I've got a book on my bookshelf here. Um, it's called People, Pattern, Power by Wood Small, by Wood Small and Wood Small, which is all about metaprograms. And it is unbelievably complex. Um, and I've got another one by Michael Hall and Bob Bodenhammer called Figuring Out People which is unbelievably complex on metaprograms. Now, what's a metaprogram? A metaprogram is a pattern that people run in specific scenarios and situations. We've all got them, haven't we? Yes, we're inevitably, we're human. Everybody human runs patterns. We are walking. Well, your dog's got a pattern. Yep, dinner pattern, walk pattern. When, when it's time to go for a walk, she sees the lead. What does she do? She starts jumping, leaping for joy into the air. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's got a pattern, haven't they? We've got patterns for everything. Patterns for brushing our teeth, little systems, little tapes that we play in our head that automatically just get set off. Um, and she says it's really... Well, the, the overall inner liner basically says there are six motivation triggers to excite people. It's useful in selling, professional coaching, career counselling. So this is a great book for us because it's been very useful for us as recruiters. Yep. Very useful for us as salespeople. It's very useful for anybody that is working with anybody that is in the business of changing something somewhere. Oh, more than that, understanding someone. Yeah. It's very good for understanding people. What's very interesting is, well, we'll come to it actually, but yes, you're absolutely right. That's about um, understanding um, one of the things we've both found over the years is how little training the modern salesman gets on this sort of stuff. Yes. I completely agree. It's become very unfashionable to train modern salespeople on this. And it's deemed, uh, yeah. it's deemed manipulative. Yes, I agree. When, it's, when this is not, actually, this is actually very, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Integral. Very I this, ethical. I tell what this book explains to you. It explains why you can't communicate with some people. Yeah, why it just, it's, why it just doesn't click with some people. Yeah. Read this book and you'll know why. So the introduction, people often prefer to rely solely on their intuition and gut feelings to make a critical decision, such as hiring, choosing a spouse. I once told the CEO that if he hired his executive VP because he liked the guy, he would be in big trouble. The last thing he needed was to recruit someone who thought just like he did. How often have we been saying that? Yes, for a long time. And what she basically says in the intro is, we all communicate through filters, through a map everybody has. In NLP, they call it a map of the world. We all have our own map. And everybody's map is a little bit different. We're not all working off the same map, are we? Nope. My map of the world different to yours. And our maps are created by our experience. Correct. And so what she talked about was she decided to learn about metaprograms and she worked on Roger Bailey's lab program. And she explains how people delete, distort, and generalize information. And she alluded to NLP. And then she explained that this all distills into what they call metaprograms, which are a, a set of filters of the world and how we act via those filters, in her words. And I wrote here, it's why a man can be an animal on the rugby field and a kitten in the workplace. Yes. That was the thought that came to man, mind. You know, I how many times... I think that's a good summary. How, why a man can be an animal on the rugby field and a kitten in the workplace. 
Well, well you know I've got you know I've got a couple of rugby mates actually. You've got a mate who played pro rugby. I'm sure. Too. Utter animal. But a I've seen, I've seen a video of him. He was a lunatic. A kitten of a man. Yeah. Lovely, incredibly sweet. Gentle I've got another human. guy that I, that was a pro rugby player that I do jiu-jitsu with. And he was a. He, he, I don't think he quite made it into the rugby league first team. But I've told you his name. He wasn't far yeah, off. Yeah. And I mean, you think, oh god, this is going to be a handful. He is so wet when it comes to boxing and jiu-jitsu. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, incredible. But it was but, a lunatic. But the, and the and the reason being is, you look at that big tough guy on the rugby field. He's got the meta program for rugby, which is being tough on a rugby field. But he doesn't have a toughness meta program or an aggression meta program in work. He doesn't have a pattern that does that. And then what she explains is that the book. She breaks the whole thing down to, I think, 16 metaprograms and then motivation traits. And she's focusing on how people answer and not what people say. And then once you know people's patterns, what she basically says is you can then find language that influences in line with those patterns. And she gives very specific examples of really useful ways of wording things to specific people running specific metaprograms. Is that a fair summary? Very accurate. Yeah. I think what she also does is a nice little section in it is she talks about hiring correctly based on what function and what meta programs will work well in the job that you've got. Yes. And I know you, you, well, you and I've talked a lot about that recently about hiring people for the job. Yeah. And so often. It's like what Drucker said. He was right. So often we see people hiring people because of so many a, a myriad of other reasons yes and i've written a couple of those down actually for, for, for discussion later on so the the bit that we're going to cover today we've covered the intro and we're going to just cover part two it's quite dense stuff this so i do hope you read along with us it is well worth picking up a copy of this book um and obviously the opening page is this worksheet of what she calls motivation patterns and uh, there are several questions. Uh, no question for the first level. Next question is what they call criteria, direction, source, reason, and decision factors. Um, and we'll go into those now, won't we? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay, so the first thing that they talk about here is uh, proactive versus reactive. Do you know so what's this... very interesting? I thought as two words, reactive has a very negative connotation. You Connotations, of, yeah. Yeah, you think if somebody's reactive, you think it's negative. But she says, she she's very clear to, to point yes. out that that's not a, it's not, um, what's the word she was using? Not a, it's not a negative and positive. Yeah, it's just what you are. Yes. And what she also points out is that in Roger Bailey's work and study of people, uh, only 15 to 20% of people are actually mainly proactive in their out, in their motivational outlook. Actually, yes. 60 to 65% of people in work are both proactive and reactive, depending on the circumstance. What did you think you were? I thought I was equal, actually. Yeah, I'm about equal. So what's interesting is, so, and, and so they're all broken down in the chapters. They're not quite chapters, are they? But the sections are broken down into in the same way all the way through and the first bit she gives you is pattern recognition so she allows you to figure out what pattern how to recognize the pattern based on the word structure that people use 
Yeah. I, mean, I think it's brilliant that she wrote it like that. Yeah. And then the next section is, right, if so, if somebody's proactive, what influencing language do you need to use to influence them? Yeah. So she talks about proactivity, people who act with little or no consideration or motivated by doing. Whereas reactive people, motivated to wait, analyze, consider, react. And if you think about that, so Justin, and she says the way to identify it, there's no specific questioning identifier that you could use in an interview. You've just got to look out for their language. Yes. So people who talk about, right, I like to get it done, do it, crack on, get through it, smash it. They're typically proactive people. Do you know what's really interesting? What's that? Uh, You know the candidate. Obviously, we're not going to mention his name, but there's a candidate got a second interview today with a client. The client is very reactive. He never gives me the feedback on the same day, ever. The candidate is very proactive. Yeah. The client said to me, it's his second interview, actually, and the client said to me, said, "I I just didn't like him and I don't know why. He said, there's nothing yeah. to dislike. he said there's nothing to dislike about him. And actually, the guy that did the first interview loved him. And he said, the guy that was in the first interview loved him so much, I'm definitely going to see him again. But I just can't put my finger on it. And yeah. I, as soon as I read this, I thought, I know exactly why you can't put your finger on it. That's exactly why. Because you're two very fundamentally different people. Neither's bad. Yeah, the client's an absolutely top guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Candidate's pretty good as well. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and then she gives you some examples of how you would communicate. Or uh, I, I like the fact she says uh, with reactive people, which is a great line, is haven't you waited long enough? Because they like to wait, consider. Yes. And I think that's, that's really, really smart. So these are things, these are what she calls motivation patterns. And the first one is proactive, reactive. And then the next bit is criteria. So just explain what she means. She talks about what, what she calls the words that incite a physical and emotional reaction. And I immediately thought of Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Don't oh, yeah. call me chicken. chicken. Everybody's got words that trigger different reactions. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because she calls it hot buttons. Quite often, a, cand- a candidate will ask about a client, what, what are the client's hot buttons, Mike? I actually don't think the candidate knows what they're asking. Go on, what do you mean? Because I think people just use it. The way she's explained a hot button is a button that incites physical and emotional reaction. That's a hot button. Yeah. What are the actual... Correct. What are the words... That incite a response? To, the, 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 there are words, aren't there? Certain things where you'll just use those words and they're triggers. Yes, trigger stuff. Well, you know how to trigger stuff. Your daughter knows how to trigger you. So does Mark yes. knows how to trigger me. Yes. How to wind us up. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true, though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, it's true. Um, so let me go through here. So, so it was interesting. So page 30, I'm on here. Now, she uses an example here I didn't quite like, Mike. What page are you on? Uh, I, I don't write down the page references because I write it. Oh, on my perfect. Notes. So she, in criteria, she uses an example of an interview where she talks about um, challenge in work, and I didn't like that. I don't like. I don't like people to say when people are ask when you're asking somebody what are you looking for. Oh, I'm looking for a challenge. 
And then what she says is you would at that point typically say is why? Okay. And then they'd say because of X, but why? And then because of that and why? And I get that, but I don't like the concept of the word challenge in an interview. I think it's very, very glib. And a lot of people, you know, how often do you get it where a candidate comes on the phone? Well, I'm looking for a challenge. Oh, all the time. And I feel like so it strikes me you've got a challenge on your, on your hands at the minute, given you miss target. <laughs> it, it's just a ridiculous, it, it's a very, now that could be about the pattern I run as much as That's it is about your, the length. That's just it's your the, pattern. That's a hot button yeah, for you. It's a hot button for me. It's, a, it's the pattern I run as opposed to the language they use. There's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with her. Question, and actually what she, what she would say is that's just a, a piece of surface structure information. And you have to peel back the layers of the definition of, well, what is a challenge? So, what does that really mean to that individual? Yeah, I mean, it, just, I mean, it, it rubbed well, me up a little bit the wrong way. That it rubbed you up a little bit. I mean, I think candidates just say that because they don't because they don't have the humility to say, "Yeah, I'm looking for a job because I'm about to get fired." Yeah, I want a challenge. I'm not really looking for a job. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, shut up. Yeah. So, so I thought this was very interesting. She's talking about how to figure out which of the criteria are the most important. Yeah. And she goes. In my right hand is a job that will offer you a challenge. Yeah. In my left hand is one that has good remuneration. If you had to choose one, which would you want? I'd, choose the, talks, the, I'd choose the one with the remuneration. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this guy chose the challenge, actually. And then what she talks, talks about, about is creating a hierarchy of criteria. And really it's a very, smart. really cool way. So you use the right hand and the left hand. Often I've done it as an exercise with candidates where they say, on one hand, I really feel like I want this job. And on the other hand, I do that. And I've actually, in the interview room, sat there with both hands out. I never have, but I thought it was really smart. And said, right, let's look at both hands. And what we've done is actually what we call a parts integration. Well, she, well she's put here, the gathering of criteria is a necessary prerequisite, prerequisite for sales and any kind of influencing or persuading process. Absolutely, yep. 100% couldn't be more right. Yeah. And then she talks about uh, the next uh, criteria is what she calls motivation direction. Interesting. What did, you say you, what did you say you were? I'm a toward guy. I'm definitely in a way from. I'm a to, I'll tell you what's interesting is without towardness, I, un, I underperform and underfunction. You see, so basically they're saying you either move toward a goal or you Away avoid from. something that's going to happen. So some people get out of bed in the morning because they don't want to be poor. Correct, that's me. Some people get out of bed in the morning because they don't want their life to be shit. That's me. Some people get out of the bed in the morning because they want to be rich. Correct. Neither is a right nor a wrong answer, as she's pointing out. There's no right or wrong. There's just motivation. And she gives a really great example of a guy who walks into a... a, a the, the example she gives is of a fella that they, she works with who says, I've been a millionaire four times. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant example. And when she got into his motivation about how he'd managed to be a millionaire and go bust four times, it was because actually his motivation was all about not being poor. So every time he became not poor, he screwed it up because he lost his motivation Yeah, and then became poor again. And then he was motivated to not be poor and succeeded very, very well. So he was very good at not being poor, but he wasn't very good at being rich. And I, we, I, I, I tell you, we get this a lot when we're interviewing candidates. And I say to them, so tell me what are you looking for in your next job? Well, what I don't want is, and it's an away from motivation. Yes. 
and we get that a lot. Well, I don't want to work for a company that uh, can't deliver and I don't want to work for a company that's got no marketing and I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. It's very difficult to state a goal in the negative, but it's amazing how often you hear that. And then you get other people walking and say, well, listen, this is what I want. And they're towards, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what she's saying is neither is really overwhelmingly right nor wrong. What she's saying is, okay, if somebody's an away from person, then you can, you can use language like, okay, well, what we're trying to avoid here is, or what we're trying to eliminate is here. And you work with their frame of language. Do you think there's a specific criteria that makes the best salesperson? I think the better salespeople are more toward. See, I don't. I think the better salespeople are more away from. No, about that's because that, you're, that's away from you're, you're an away from guy and I'm a toward guy. Yeah, 100%. So you think about one of the guys I've got in the frame at the moment, Jonathan, with my AI company. Yeah. Who I know you're quite fond of. Yeah. You get talking to him. He's an away he from. He works his ass off because he was really poor when he was a kid. Yeah. Don't want to be poor. Don't want to be poor. Okay. 100%. 100%. And I think that that, if you look at a lot of the people that we know that are fairly successful, you know, the guy, the guy doing the second interview and today and all those guys, I think a lot of salespeople are from quite modest backgrounds as kids. Because they're, and they're moving away from that because they want more. Now, you could state, you know, equally, there's plenty of people who are toward and are fairly successful because they move toward um, but I think the target in a sales environment, if you're really bothered about it and you're bothered about your target, creates an away from. Uh, I think target achievement is well. both a toward and an away from. The good ones have both toward and away from motivation, which to, well, be, fair, the, to yeah. be fair, according to the study, 40% of people are mainly away from, 40% are towards and 20% are equally toward and away from. Yeah. And I and bet I, if you, I, I've got a gut feel is if you took really top performers, a lot of them are both toward and away from, think, uh, toward and away well, from. You know, I, well, I think about my targets that I personally have. I'm absolutely gutted if I miss those targets. I work hard to not miss those targets. You work to not miss them rather than to hit them. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely 100%. And if I'm anything like missing them, I should work till 10 o'clock at night. I don't so care. how does that translate to a salesperson? How does that translate to our audience? Um, well, our audience are reading this for their audience, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so, so let's think of a, soft, think a software project. Audience. Let's think of the criteria in a software project. Is the customer toward or away from? Well, I think it depends on the product, doesn't it? I think if it's, well, it's, oh, it's situational specific, and, if it's governance, risk, and compliance or security, you can pretty much guarantee it's away from. Yeah, like an insurance sale. Yeah. Whereas if I'm trying to sell something that's new and no one's ever heard of, and it's an aspirational sale, you'd expect their end user to be a toward person, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a very broad summary, isn't it? But Yeah. And then the next criteria she talks about is internal or external motivation. Well, I then, Johnny, I wrote you down as external, me as internal. I got you down very much as internal. 100%, yeah. You're extremely so, so, internal. So internal, people, with an internal pattern in a gov- in a given context provide their own motivation from within themselves they decide about the quality of their work they have difficulty accepting other people's opinions in an outside direction that is me in an absolute i, I, I would say you're probably 
an extreme internal. 100%, yeah. Uh, actually. 100%. I, I, I don't know anybody who gives less of a shit about what anybody else thinks than you. And that's even people that are really close to me. I just don't care. You just don't care. Nope. What anyone thinks. Nope. About anything. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm... Oh, it's funny because we she were would say that's a weakness. We, we were talking about this the other week because I, I did this t- this Jordan Peterson psychometric test that had me down as being in a room of a hundred people, I would be in the two most disagreeable, no. two most two most likely to disagree. Probably the other one being you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and I'd be in the six most likely to call somebody out on something, which probably probably alludes to the fact that I'm quite internal and I'm not afraid of what people will think. But I do have a little bit of external motivation with certain things. And again, there's, 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 you know, how do you spot them from a language and sentence structure? And again, you know, how do you test for it using questions? And again, you know, what's the language that you would use yeah. to influence somebody? And I, and I read it and thought, would that influence me? Only you can decide. You might consider it's up to you. How do you uh, and and to, as to identify it? How do you know that you've done a good job at question yeah. mark? Or you could obviously amend the question mm. for, a, for a slightly other ones. And she says sales and reception positions generally need someone with an external pattern. Do they really? Yeah, I, mean, I didn't agree with you on that obviously because I'm a salesperson and very internal. But I, I think a lot of the really, really, really good guys are very internal very self i think i think actually in this this instance i think if you drew a continuum mike of people who are internal versus externally motivated and then compared it to specific sales roles and you looked at a lot of the more senior roles that you and i tend to get involved in i reckon as you go higher up the food chain of jobs that we work on the requirement is for more internal motivation. Yes, I'd agree with that. Well, and why is that? It's because there's not there's very little external support. Very little external support or external feedback telling people other than, you know, in reality. And also in say, I think in, in a larger enterprise-driven sale, feedback is very binary. Yes. I also think it's interesting, it would be interesting to monitor internally versus externally uh, motivated people and how they are getting on in lockdown. Because I think if you're an external person, lockdown is going to hit you fairly hard, actually. Yeah, well, we were talking about this the other day. And on the same point, you know, if you've got a load of telesales people or inside salespeople or young grads, they're going to be externally motivated because they simply haven't got enough experience to know what is or isn't right and whether they are or aren't doing well. So there's going to be an element of external motivation. And I was talking to my mate's son the other day. He's on a, a, joint, a combined degree with PricewaterhouseCoopers where he has a, it, it's not like a sandwich year. He basically sort of works and studies all the okay. way through the degree. So he, he's, he's, he's based at, at, at university, but he work, he goes to uni for a month and he goes to work. Then he goes to uni and goes to work. And he, 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 he's a lovely kid. And he was saying on Saturday morning how unbelievably difficult he's finding this last few months because he's just sat at home. Yeah, with, yeah. He's sat at home working on the kitchen table whilst his dad's upstairs working in his office and his mum's, up, mum's downstairs working in her office. 
and he, I think that's really, I think that's very, very difficult right now. It is. I too also thought what was very interesting about this is on, for me, it's page 59. She then starts talking about, about marketing language. Yeah. And how that affects internal or external people. And she, she uses Canada Trust, who's a Canadian trusted mortgage company. And, and she said that, that the information allows people to internally make decisions more easily in the mortgage market. So right. she said here, you know, once upon a time, consumers would pay any interest rate to get the mortgage accepted. Since the early 1990s, mortgage companies have had to beg people to choose them over the competition. The Canadian Trust slogan was highly appropriate. The best mortgage package in Canada, question mark, you be the judge. And it yeah. really got me thinking about how you communicate, how we are communicating. With internal or an ex. So, yeah. you know, you get somebody who's an internally motivated. Are you actually, if you get somebody who you know is internally motivated, are you thinking about how to actually lock into that? Yes. Well, you've been dealing with my clients whilst I've been on holiday. Yeah. I would, I expect a lot of the clients that you've dealt with are like me. No. 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 Are they not? Because I was Well, look at, you, look at your AI client. Look at that AI client at the moment. He's externally motivated. Very externally motivated. He's externally motivated, but it takes us into the next page, actually, which is on um, uh, uh, the motivation reason and the choice between options and procedures. He's very procedure-focused. Yes. But in very procedure. Uh, uh, you didn't have me down as being procedural. No, I didn't. I had down as options. I mean, let's get it right. There's a grey patch between the two points, isn't there? Well, so what's it, it, it? Let's just give some definitions. So this is another motivation reason. And it says what you've got are what they call options people and procedures people. So options people are compelled to develop and create systems and procedures, have difficulty following set procedures, but they like making them. Yeah, I guess that's me, isn't it? But sort of a bit of a mad, a mad inventor. Yeah, then I take your invention. And, and use it and drive it and enforce use thereof across the business. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. And then you've got the procedure people who prefer to follow tried and true set ways, get stumped when they have no procedure. Well, let's be clear, Johnny. How hard is it to change my procedure if I do the job? Very difficult. Well, I, 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 was, I had a chat with your missus about this a, a few years ago where she said, oh, yeah, Mike needs about a year to work out whether something was a good idea or not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I've got uh, to internally uh, she, work it out. She was laughing with me about it, saying, yeah, you've got to give Mike, you've got to give Mike a hint about 12 months before you want him to get his head around it. And that's, not, that's not a bad thing. That's just, just how what, you just process. Is, well, she's very clear about that. It just is what it is, isn't it? Now, now I think, actually, um, when we're, you know, this is all about selling and marketing. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that's what the job's about. Personally, I think that quite a lot of the people that we deal with are quite, you know, a lot of the sales leaders are quite procedures based, actually. Apart well, from. But again, I think that's role, role fluid. Apart from every now and then you'll meet some mavericks, and you've got one in particular. Mad who's first initially. Yeah. The guy's a lunatic, and he goes, 400 grand, 400 grand, 400 grand, 400 grand, five jobs in four years. Yeah. And he's a towards options. Yeah, guy, that's just a, what he a is. mad genius. He's lunatic. 
you know, he might absolutely knock your target just out the park. But could equally leave his gear in a box outside your office and never yeah. hear from him again whilst he emigrates to Australia to go and be a cherry picker. Yeah, yeah. So we've got options and procedures. Again, he's got lovely language bits about how to spot them, how to ask questions, the influencing language. Yeah, and, and, what, and he makes a really great point, which is, you know, some jobs lend themselves to procedures people and some jobs lend themselves to options people. Yes, yes, of course. You know, surgery, being a surgeon, kind of a procedures gig. <laughs> you need a procedures person. But an inventor, you need an options guy, don't you? Correct. Software developer, you need an options guy. Somebody who's creative and can invent things. Yeah, yeah. Code. Telesales, procedural. Inside sales club, yeah, totally procedural. Particularly in the modern day and age with the, the sort of scale high. Well, well, it's interesting. I did put that in the current SaaS software market. It's a procedural job, isn't it? Actually. Yeah. But then again, you know, I'm working on a job at the moment. It's a regional director for Scotland for a company and it's working on massive, massive deals um, in public sector up in Scotland. That, I think, is an options gig. Well, he's an options guy, isn't he? He's an options guy, and you look at that, then what's the job doing? It's working on two, three deals maybe throughout the course of the whole year where you're piggybacking on the back of massive governmental digital transformations. Not like a million quid, but 20, 30, 40, 50 million quid deals. And actually, you can't follow a procedure for that. You've got to be creative and smart and work with what you've got at any given point in time. Mm. So if you are hiring for that job, one of the things you've got to it actually, you know, if a customer came to us and said, well, do some consulting on this. What, what am I, what am I going to do? What do you think to candidate X? I'd be looking for in that situation, an options driven person. And I'd be asking a question, why did you choose the, your current work? And driving into listening to those languages. They, so what she gives her in each chapter or each section, examples of languages that the different types of pattern tend to produce. So a procedures person would refer to things as being tried and true, first, then last, the right way, the way I do this is. Whereas an options person would talk about opportunities, possibilities, choices, mm. which is fascinating, really. And then she, talks about, then she talks about sameness with exception. Yes, well, you've got sameness, sameness with, with, with exception and difference. I thought I was a sameness with exception person. What did you reckon, Johnny, for you? Uh, about the same. Oh, that's what I wrote you down as, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I wrote here, let's be careful on this one. Let's talk about people who move jobs all the time. Oh, you know, I underlined it on page 79. To test your diagnosis in the work context, simply ask the person how often they changed what they were doing on the job. And I just... I think she misses the external factors that mean you've got to change. Yeah, well, you know, you've got people that theoretically you would call them difference people. People who just, people who check, let, let's take an example. People who change jobs every year. Yep. Guy has a new job every six years. Is he now going to come to me having read this book and say, oh, it's just because I'm a difference guy? Well, yeah, your point is absolutely right. No, it's because you're shit and you don't sell anything in the jobs you're in. But maybe she would argue, or oh, maybe actually he's a difference guy. And the moment something kicks in in the job that he finds remotely boring, he changes jobs. But doesn't I make him a bad salesman, though. Doesn't necessarily make him a bad salesperson. 
because going to be he's going to be out there spotting difference, isn't he? Something that changes in an, in an end user. Maybe. Maybe. So that's the, the first two chapters. It's dense stuff. This isn't it? Brilliant. Parts one and two, and it it's going to stay dense, but it's worth sticking with. I tell you what's good about it as well is the fact that there's all these worksheets in it. Yeah, it's a. V- I, I know what you've liked so much about this book is if you think about this versus the salesman's secret code, not the salesman's secret code, ah. the other one, coaching winning sales teams. Oh, yes. I mean, I did sort of quite like that. Who was this? Is procedure. I quite liked him as well. This is procedure stuff. Yes. This is a procedure for communicating. It's a, it's a Haynes handbook. Manual. It's a Haynes manual for linguistic management of a sale I, and of people. I, t- I mean, it's the kind of thing that I should have taken out on one of my first dates. And I should have asked, <laughs> asked them a lab profile and walked away. Yeah. What, 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 what it does very well, actually, is it gives you examples of questions and how to spot language patterns, but they're quite subtle. Yeah. And it's it will subtle. take, it will take yeah. integration. I have put that. I've actually put some time aside, obviously at the same time, every week for an hour a week for the next eight weeks. To integrate it into what I, I have them. Yeah, I know. To, to, to I'm integrate not joking. It, I'm not doubting you. To integrate it into what I'm doing. Yeah, take, it's going to take a bit of integrated learning. It's quite difficult to understand. It's not a holiday read like some of the other ones. It's a, no, so, and I know why you've preferred this to winning, coaching winning sales teams because coaching winning sales teams is all about options. This is all about procedures, good, as you would say. That's a very good point. It was all about options, wasn't it? Full of options. Very, very woolly. Very optionsy. Woolly is unfair you on the word options. You could do this and you could do that. Yeah, it is. Because that whereas suggests that is, options is a bad thing. It's not. Like, options is just a is different thing. A, this is a procedural manual for language and communication. Yep. So it's a bit dry, a little bit dry, but very good. And at that, it's been a short show, but we're back.